This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Tri-Velo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined as always on every podcast by your host. We have former Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. In this episode, we got to speak to someone who is very special to Tri-Velo, very special to the Donnelly family and it's a family friend and it's Dane Verway. Dane is a qualified physiotherapist, a uh, injury, uh, running injury physio specialist. Uh, he's a, an elite marathon runner uh, and mostly I think he's just an absolute running fanatic. He loves running more than anything else. He's, he's a man that loves running so much that he started his own podcast on running and he has admitted that he just started it so he could talk more about running with his friends uh, and he actually he loves running so much that he proposed to his girlfriend on a 10 kilometer run uh, today's chat was really really fun we absolutely love talking to Dane. he has some great experiences throughout his running career to talk about he has a very impressive marathon career so far he's completed 10 marathons uh, including two wins he won the hobart and adelaide marathon uh, in times of two hours, 24 minutes. That's for a marathon, two hours, 24 minutes. Uh, he, impress, he boasts an impressive PB of 2.22.40, which is just outstanding running. And uh, to show his running capabilities, he also has an incredibly impressive half marathon PB of one hour, seven minutes and 49 seconds. So that's 67.49. That's a half marathon. That's 21 kilometers, uh, which is incredible running. So... We had a great chat to Dane today. We spoke about everything about running, his running career, his setbacks, his trials, his tribulations, his uh, incredible ability to push through some tough times in his career. Uh, and it was a great learning experience. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat. The chat. So did you, Dad? Yeah, it was a great example for all of our, our athletes that we coach and all the people that are listening about perseverance. And he epitomizes that um, you know, not gaining much success as a runner um, for a long time. We're talking, you know, he's he's been doing this for 18 years, um, seriously running five days a week since he was 12 years of age, and and doubting doubting along his journey the whole time. Um, his passion for running is something that stands out to me, um, and you know, you've got to love what you're doing in order to be good at it. Um, there are plenty of examples of people who, who are really talented, uh, but they don't have the passion. And they may have some success, but it's short-lived. And Dane's an example of the opposite. You know, he's not super talented. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's you know, a really decent runner. Um, but he's got some outstanding results because of his perseverance, his consistency, his passion. Um, and it's a great story of uh, someone who's got the most out of themselves because of you know, their desire to, to, and their love of what they do. Um, you'll always do well at something you love. You won't be so good at something that's a chore. And I've said that many times and, and the story of Dane and, you know, as I've said to, you know, to the listeners, we, we have known Dane since he was born. I went to school with his, uh, went to uni with his, both his parents. And, and so I've, I've seen Dane grow up and I've just admired the way, you know, no matter what's happened to him, no matter what roadblock's been put in front of him, he has actually managed to get around it. And he's had some great outstanding uh, successes, despite all the things that have, uh, that have 
seemingly uh, gone against him. And it's a great example for people not to give up. You know, it's never over till it's over. And if you've got the desire and the passion, the consistency, there's, there's nothing's going to stop you. And it, it, is, it was spine tingling listening to some of the stuff that, that, he's, uh, that he's done. And, um, and he definitely is the quiet achiever. And he never, you would never know, you know, what he's done in his, in his career because he would never tell anybody. Um, so getting him to talk about himself was, was, uh, was, was really a hard thing to do. And, it, and uh, I think he did a good job. Definitely. Uh, that's a great way to put it. So without further ado, here is the podcast with Dane. All right, Dane Verway, welcome to the Trivelo Coaching Podcast. Oh, thanks, George. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, it's great to be here. Awesome. We are. We're really excited for this chat. And we have to start it off by mentioning uh, something that everyone needs to know. I personally have known Dane my whole life. And so has Jared. Um, Dane, you, you're a bit older than me, so you wouldn't have, um, <laughs> you would have known me since I was born as well. And that's because uh, our parents went to university together. So dad and mum went to university with Dane's parents, um, Arthur and Bridget. And so uh, we've known this family for a long time. I'm really excited to talk to you, Dane. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, um, we had so many good Christmas holidays. Um, yeah, whether it was Phillip Island or Wilson's Prom. Um, and were they training camps or holidays? <laughs> they were pretty much, yeah, they were pretty active. Every morning we'd get up and whether it was a, a run or you'd be off for your ride. Um, yeah, uh, yeah and everyone got so fit. And it was, yeah, I always remember those times like that. So, so um, such fond times. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. There was there was twelve kids all going for a run every morning, and um, all the parents as well. It was, it was yeah, the, yeah. Peer, the peer group pressure was incredible, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, learn how to exercise, and there was something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, first question I wanted to ask is: out of all of us, and as long as I've known you, you've probably been the most passionate and fanatic runner, and you just absolutely love running. So, where did you get this passion to run from? Well, I think I got it from mum and dad initially. Like I saw that they would run regularly. And, and like you said, um, alluded to like our family holidays, um, just around all these PE teachers. And um, uh, yeah, you sort of were amongst sort of active families. And that definitely influenced me. And then I went reasonably okay at school. Uh, at primary school, I got through um, to zone cross country and and athletics and and I think um, once I did that, I was like, oh yeah, maybe maybe I'm okay at this. So I started practicing doing three k runs around the the local Mount Eliza North Primary School. There was a little cross country course, and I did that and I got better. And then I sought out a an athletics coach at uh, Frankston Athletics Club um, down at Ballon Park and started training there with a small group and I probably um, was doing it more out of the case that I was good at it at the time and and I, I liked I've always liked just trying to get better at things and um, improve and and I, I um, really liked the feeling of going well. And, um, and so then that sort of sparked an interest in running and then it grew from there. Yeah, from there I went to Halebury and, and then I had to decide between footy and, and running and because I was really small, I kept getting hurt. And it was about year eight that I actually decided to 
pursue running a little bit more. And after that, I was pretty hooked. I, um, I think all my friends were in running. Um, and so my social outlet was, was running friends. And I got along with the whole group of um, kids that I ran with at Frankston um, under Nikki Frey, who she was my coach. And by having that group, that certainly, um, yeah, encouraged me to like running more because it, it was just fun. And, and then from there, I think it became sort of more like by the end of school and, and uni, I felt like I had to go for a run, otherwise it didn't feel normal. And, and it became a bit more of a obsession um, as well, a healthy obsession where, um, yeah, I'd go for a run and, and I'd feel good. Uh, so it became a bit of a habit. Uh, yeah. And, and then um, I always knew that um, I was more destined to go longer because every time the distances crept up through school, I would go a little bit better. And so there was just this uh, underlying interest to how would I go over a marathon? And because mm. I was so small growing up and, and, and I was too young to try the marathon, there was always this little burning ambition in the back of my head of like, oh, I wonder how I'll go in the marathon. So I just wanted to stick at it. And, and so, so, so I stayed with the sport and yeah, it's been, been a great sport. It's taught me a lot of things about life too. Um, uh, and how I go about life too, like uh, with the learnings that I've got from the sport. Was it, was there anybody Dane who, who you really thought I'd like to be like that runner is there anybody who you thought was the you know your pin up sort of thing I want to be like you yeah definitely I had quite a few um uh I reckon early days it was Phil Sly um Phil Sly was a runner down um my way on the peninsula and he was a marathoner and I would always see him when I was I don't know 12 13 14 he was doing laps of the track and, and I, and, and what I saw him do, I thought it was crazy. And um, then I saw him running amazing marathon times, like 2.15, 2.16. So I sort of looked up to that. And, and I remember one time running along Walker's road, which is a road in Mount Eliza. And I was just doing my usual 4k little training run and he drove past in the car and, and stopped and, and uh, wound down the window and said, "Oh, you're going well, mate." And um, and yeah, I remember remember that moment. But from he was he was definitely an inspiration from a local level. And then I always looked up to Steve Monaghetti. I remember writing Steve Monaghetti letters when I was growing up. <laughs> uh, and I remember talking to him after. Um, no, no, he didn't. <laughs> I don't think so. I can't remember. I don't think he did. I remember talking to him after a Bundura state cross country and he'd won the race and I, I went up to him after and said, Oh, well done, Steve. Um, I was, I was the, the kid who wrote you a letter, um, earlier this year. Um, and I think I referenced something about, cause he, he, he said something like he loves, um, drinking coffee or, I referenced something about that and that's how I, I, he said, oh yeah, I remember the, the boy that wrote something about that, but I don't know if he was just saying well, that'd be nice. Yeah. Have you but seen yeah, him in your, in your adult life? Have you seen him since you started running marathons as a pretty much elite runner? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, um, like I, he now would know my name um, and 
I could talk to him. Um, yeah, from like, like obviously not not close close friends, but like at least um, um, yeah, feel like I could talk to him. And um, yeah, he's definitely an inspiration to so many runners because the way he like um, carries himself, um, he, and he's really a really good role model for Australian running. Um, yeah, so definitely him and. And then, you know, just seeing Craig Mocham as well in like, like from sort of the early 2000s and what he did and how he sort of took Australian running onto the world stage and competed against the Africans. Like just to show that that was um, possible um, was really cool for an inspired sort of young runner coming through the ranks. Um, so, yeah, probably those three. Yeah, awesome. It's really good, isn't it, that you, that, you know, some leading examples locally and internationally can trend, you know, for the fact that he stopped his car on a back street in Mount Eliza and you still remember that. And, and that, it's just fantastic. You don't know what effect you're having on uh, influencing others, do you? And you, you yeah. set standard by yourself, don't you? By what, 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 how you carry yourself. And, you know, it was incredible for him to do that, you know. And it's uh, had a, lo- uh, a long-lasting effect on you. Oh, yeah. Like, um, for example, I reached out to him about two months ago because I was like, oh, I wonder if I could chat to Phil Sly um, on the podcast I'm doing. Um, and I reached out to him and we actually recorded an episode, but unfortunately, um, it, he was at a coffee shop, so the background noise was was too loud. So I haven't we haven't put it out, but we'll probably chat again. But... I told him about that story and um, yeah, he didn't remember it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny, funny how the world goes. That's great. So you touched on then uh, when you were introducing kind of your passion for running that you really think running has taught you a lot of good life lessons. What are some of those lessons that you think has carried over into your life? Oh, probably there's heaps, um, but probably the biggest one is just keep chipping away slowly over time, be patient um, and persistent. Uh, Know that good things take, you know, um, a long time Mm. and it all doesn't happen at once. Uh, So yeah, just steadily applying yourself over time, but consistently. Have you just Um, summarized my chapter one? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I think you, you would know it too, Jerry, because you've you've experienced it yourself too over a long time. You, you, you get surprised at how the stuff that you can eventually achieve. Um, uh, I've seen so many runners drop out of the sport um, over time, over years. Um, and a few of them, I, I, I bet you would have thought that that's as good as they would get. And they, they go, oh, that's nah, not worth it. Um, but it's amazing how good you can get. Like I've still run PBs, um, you know, as, as recent as last year um, and I'm 34 and I've run consistently since I was 11. Like I reckon I was running five days a week at 12, 13. Mm. Um, so like it just shows that, uh, yeah, uh, distance running is a really cool sport in that you don't have to be super talented endurance sport you don't have to be super talented um you you just if you put in the work over time it's amazing how much your physiology can change and i think that's that that's the way i live my life too like as in 
you might not achieve something straight away, but if you sort of constantly sort of put yourself in the areas or in the zone or, or in the right spot and, and don't get too, um, too disturbed or too disappointed or despondent by a poor result at the time um, uh, and just, just um, try to, you know, stick at it over time. Yeah. It's amazing what you can achieve. So that's, that's probably one, one thing that immediately springs to mind, but there'd be heaps more. Let's Um, just, uh, let's just follow on from that. And, and let's have a little talk about your marathon career and, and look, you know, Jordan and I know it intimately, but uh, you know, let's just start with how many marathons have you actually completed? Yeah, I've done 10, 10 now. Fantastic. And thousands of uh, half marathons <laughs> along that journey, I imagine. Um, yep. And what, you know, we've, let's just have a look at some of the best things you've done. So you've won a couple of marathons. Uh, you've won Hobart and you've won Adelaide. Um, were they, were they things that uh, were, you know, really high in your, your list of achievements to, to actually win a marathon? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Jerry. Uh, I, I reckon I started my, marathons when i was 28 so i just waited and waited and waited because a lot of people said oh no you have you have you're not old enough you're not mature enough um you, you haven't finished growing or you're just not ready from a running side of point of view are you and happy are you happy you took that uh, long to start marathons is, is that something looking yeah. back i think so because i certainly it meant that i maximized my speed um side of things so i got the best i could have out of myself over 1500 3k 5k um because now like i i wouldn't be able to go any i I can't go very fast over 1500 or 3k so it, it was a good um it was good to wait till 28 and then when i was 28 i did the melbourne marathon that was my debut and i actually did a real I had a really good day and my preparation was, um, yeah, a really good preparation. Um, my coach at the time, Pete Swallow, um, probably, um, he prepared, prepared me for the race from a long way out. And, um, I, I did, I did like, um, a really good sort of, um, training stint for that race, but, um, it's amazing how much my training, training has changed since then um i i I ran that race and i ran a 224 and that was um an amazing time for my debut and a lot of people said oh you might be able to break 220 um once you've done a few of these and then i i proceeded to run another seven i think and i i didn't get very close to 224 (laughs) um so I, i actually um I actually got it. I felt like um, for various reasons because of um, uh, yeah, injury or doing overseas races where I'd get asthma or my preparation just didn't go um, as well as it should have because I was burning the candle at both ends with work. Um, and so then once I, when I hadn't reached the time, I was getting a little bit down about that. So I was like, well, why don't I just um, try to try to run a race where maybe I could win it? Cause I'm putting so much time into training. Um, I should try to get something a bit more out of it. So I targeted Hobart marathon in 2018 and 
um, yeah, went over there and uh, yeah, it was a great race in the end. I was running with Dion Finocciaro and uh, another little Ethiopian, Sam, and he's run 207 actually, but he's sort of at the back end of his career and he went out really hard and had a, a massive lead and uh, Dion and I worked together and we went out reasonably conservatively and it was, uh, for those that know, Hobart course is quite hilly and windy. And so we went out in 73 minutes. Um, and, but then we sort of could see Sam in the distance. So by 25K, we actually caught him. And then suddenly um, to know that I was actually in, the in, in a shot for the win, um, it was amazing what that did. Like um, you suddenly not looking at your watch, you're not looking at the time, you're just mm. thinking about the race. Mm. And uh, yes, then we ran together. Sam did a little spurt at about 38K, got away again. And then Dion and I caught him at 40K. So we'll, all three of us were together at 40K uh, with 2Ks to go. Um, and then uh, I tried to put a surge in. Um, and uh, just, it's amazing. Yeah, because I knew there was only 2Ks to go. and it's amazing what self-talk can do to your um, perception of pain. Cause I was like, well, really I've, I've only got um, less than seven minutes of work to go. Um, and uh, I'll put a surge in and then Dion covered it. And then with a K to go, I put another surge in and this time I got away and, um, and I won. So it was, it was pretty cool. And um, just a, an amazing feeling like crossing the line knowing that you'd won a marathon because mm. you're pretty stripped back and raw and tired and your emotions are pretty close to the surface um okay. and then to cross the line was um yeah pretty memorable so yeah i was so glad that i changed my goal to try to win a race because i ended up running 224 and it was only um yeah, it was only 30 seconds off um, my pb from that first day at melbourne so it gave me confidence that I could do it again and um and then from there I did Berlin later in the year yeah and before we get to Berlin you actually won Adelaide as well did, but winning Hobart did that give you confidence to back up and win another race do you think that that first yeah. step yeah definitely. take that first step of winning yeah like um Adelaide was um it was a different race I actually led from gun to tape like um I went out I didn't know anyone on the start line and there was a lead bike rider and it was just on the bike paths through Adelaide and you do two laps. It's a pretty flat course, but it's pretty windy. And I went out in 318 for the first K. I was just feeling really good and it didn't feel like a 318 um, K. Um, and so suddenly I was by myself and so I just decided to run by myself and I just followed the bike, lead bike and and ease back a little bit to, to, to a pace that I thought I could sustain. And um, yeah, I uh, went through halfway in 71 minutes and, and uh, there was a few switchbacks in the course. So I knew I had a decent lead. I, um, I had about a one minute, one minute lead at halfway. That just gave me, or it might've been a bit more, two minute lead at halfway. So it just gave me the confidence that I could, I could do it. And that, that confidence of, running scared, being out front, knowing that you're two minutes ahead made me run even better. Um, yeah, funnily enough, because 
yeah, I was, I was out in front and, um, and like when you're out in front, you just think positively, um, uh, cause you're winning a race. Whereas when you're getting past and, and, and the race is, um, turning pear shaped, you start thinking negatively. Whereas I was just having a good day and that was reinforcing mm. how I was feeling about it. And, and yeah, so one Adelaide, um, I was, if, if I knew the results afterwards, I probably wouldn't have been as aggressive. Like the guy who came second, Dean Menzies, was two minutes behind in the, in, in the end. I, I ran 224, he was 226. And then he's gone on to break 220 since then. Um, so he was a pretty good runner. I just didn't know him. Um, but because I went out so hard, he couldn't see me. And I think that that meant the race played in my favour. And maybe winning Hobart gave me the confidence to do that. There was two different styles of running, really, wasn't it? One in a pack and coming from behind and negative splitting. Like Hobart, you've run a 73 and a 71. And yeah. in Adelaide, you've run a 71 and a 73. And, yeah. and just, you know, execution's everything we talk about in our, in our coaching program. Um, and you still have to race the race, though, you know, and you have to... You have to definitely think about your opponents and your, you know, the, the course terrain and and what's going to best suit you on the day. And you've executed both of those completely different scenarios and got the, the same result, which is which is a really good testament about how you've gone about the race. I, I, yeah. So. Yeah, but do you know what? Like we talk about those two, but there's a whole swagger, like whole heap of um, races that didn't go to plan, and I I didn't didn't cap I didn't um run the race so like I think um it was because I've run so many races over my running career like it's you 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 learn through mistakes and you learn through um you yeah so I think had I yeah had I not had those experiences uh, um over other races where I was like oh yeah um, I could have gone about this a different way. Um, yeah, you, you definitely get a better instinct of, of how to race um, and, and, and you learn where your body's at and, and whether you can push or you should pull back and, and you start to get better at those um, high-pressure sort of decisions um, on race day. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot, don't we, Jordan, in our program about, you know, you learn more from the, you know, the, the bad experiences than you do from the victories. And... And it's so much sweeter for the victories because you've you've done your apprenticeship with so many horrible experiences, and and that leads that, the next question. Obviously, I, I know Jordan's probably got a question he wants to ask in there, but but that gets us to to Berlin, which was your 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 PB, and and just tell us about that experience. Oh well, yeah, Berlin was um, you know in the back of my mind for a couple of years. I like always wanted to do it because it has such. Um, uh like uh, everyone knows that it's the fastest course in the world it's had probably the last eight to ten um, men's world records run on it um so i just wanted to do it because in australia um marathon wise there's always something a bit adverse in terms of time wise so melbourne you go up you know a few climbs you've generally got a bit of a wind um same with hobart same with canberra same with sydney uh, Gold Coast is pretty warm. Um, like they're all great courses, but they're nothing compared to Berlin. Berlin, when you do it, um, it's pancake flat. It's 14 degrees. You've generally got a pack of runners that are there for the same reason you are. And you jump in and 
uh, you've got people around you mm. all trying to run, you know, there's generally a group of 10 people trying to run the same time you are. So it was just perfect. Um, and it was something that was always on the radar. And, and I, yeah, I ended up um, 16 weeks before it, I booked all the flights and I started to write a blog. Um, and I think writing a blog, there's something to it. Like I, I released a blog every week and it meant that I, I, I wanted to break 224. That was the goal. And, and I, cause I was, publicly putting this blog out uh everyone knew what i was doing and i i how i felt accountable to tick every box and and do everything i could to perform on the day and yeah it ended up working out perfectly sort of like um my debut um at melbourne uh it all went to plan uh i stayed healthy i got to race day feeling healthy and um I was certainly the fittest I've ever been. Um, I knew that going in. Um, I was, I, was I, I ran a half marathon PB and and a few um, nice sessions in the lead up. I'd changed my training um, before Ho before um, Hobart uh, about a year before and started doing um, some bigger bigger sort of marathon specific sessions in the lead up and and my body really seemed to respond well to that kind of training. I don't think I would have been able to do that training hadn't I not done the the smaller kind of training before it. Like I, I graduated to it really well. And um, yeah, I, I ended up running Berlin and um, it was an amazing event to be part of because Kipchoge actually broke the world record on the day and it's still the world record. Um, and I shook his hand actually just briefly for one second um, after. Uh, I remember being at the six, I was at the 36k mark when he finished, and there was this big screen, and I saw him like crossing the line, and I saw the time 201.38, um, and I had six k's to go, and I heard the roar because there's pretty good atmosphere at Berlin, and I could hear the roar in the distance, um, and when I saw that, that just motivated me to to make sure that I made the day special for myself as well, um, like a like a, it, it was kind of inspiring like it, it it really did give you that sort of um that sort of um shiver through the body when you when I, when I saw that I was like oh come on I've got to do this and and um to, to that point my race was going really well like I went, had gone through halfway in a in a nice pack in 71 15 and and then I held it together and ran a 71 25 for the second half and ran two 2240 so mm. it was a massive pb um and I, I remember finishing the race calling dad because yeah he's been like such a great supporter of my running and yeah it was it was a pretty special moment yeah. to be honest yeah. i yeah that story gives me goosebumps because i know how much preparation went into it and uh reading your blog i encourage anyone to go find the run culture blog and, and read that the whole preparation is just so fascinating and uh, to see you get the pp was, was such a rewarding story to read uh it was it was so good what what make apart from the pb and the world record i mean what makes that that memory so special for you and that result so special is it the preparation yeah definitely like how long it took to to run that time i remember um when 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 I ran my first marathon, people were like, "Oh, you can run under 220." And to me, I was like, "No, it still feels so far away." And it really is. And 
Pete, um, my coach at the time, was oh, just break it up into um, uh, a chunk. So next next marathon goal is to break or to run a two twenty two. So uh, I felt like I'd finally achieved that. Um, but mm. like a, it, it's amazing how much work happened um, from like it was four years of of work um, to get to that point and for everything to fall into place. Like the marathon's such a hard event to get right. You put six months of work in and and uh, it comes down to, um, yeah, some of it is like how the, how the weather is on the day. Like sometimes you can be in amazing shape, but if there's 40k hour wind, um, you know, it's going to be hard to run your PB. Uh, there's so much that goes into it, uh, especially when you're traveling overseas to Berlin um, and you're living in a different country and the time zone changes. Uh, I get a bit of asthma. I had a bit of asthma in the lead up, but it just came good two days before just because of the different pollution and, and di different, um, just different country. Uh, yeah, I think the preparation and how much work went into it and just the chase, like I've always been, um, I've always loved just um, trying to get better and, and knowing that, like just not knowing that I, I, I thought there was a time where I was like, oh, maybe I'm a 224 guy and that's just what I am. Um, and just actually showing to yourself that, no, nah, you, you did, you, you ran a 222 and actually, um, yeah, I think that that's, I, I guess the, the fact that I did it and, um, uh, yes, so much preparation went into it. Um, yeah, the journey, I guess. <laughs> just a brief, uh, note on that. And I want to get your thoughts on this dad as well. Um, because, Dad, you often speak about how when you get to the start line, you will be confident when your preparation has been good. There will be nerves, of course, but you will be much less nervous when you know that you can look back on your preparation and it's been good. And you actually mentioned that in your blog, Dane, I think a day before, two days before you did, you did a practice run and you just said you just felt, you felt like everything was clicking, you felt perfect, and you probably knew then in the back of your mind that you were going to do a good result and obviously doing it on the day is different but um, is that true that you know when your preparation is that good uh, that even that factor you kind of know you're going to do a good result before the race yeah yeah definitely that's definitely for me always been a factor like when I've known that I've been able to tick off every part of the preparation and and I've put everything into the race then I've definitely been more confident. Whereas when you've got like that seed of doubt um, in your mind where you're like, oh, I could have done that better or, or this didn't quite go right. Um, it definitely makes it harder to perform well, but you can still perform well. Like I've still had some good results where off less than ideal preparation. Um, but I think where that's worked for me is it made me rest and taper for the race. Um, and and be a bit fresher um and it was it was but at the same time i wasn't confident on the start line i still i ran well but maybe i ran well because i i was more an underdog and i and i, I viewed myself like that and and uh i was like oh like i'm it, like a, and, and and that sort of um meant that i didn't put as much pressure on myself so that i, I still performed well but yeah definitely it's so much easier to be confident on the start line um, yeah, once you've ticked every box and, and, and certainly for Berlin, that's what I had done. 
we, uh, you know, we often ask, uh, and I actually rang your dad and asked this question. And I said, uh, I'm going to talk to Dane uh, on a podcast. Tell me what you think his biggest strength is. And he did not even hesitate. He said, perseverance is what, is what has got Dane where he is today. And, and I, you know, I go as far as to call you Mr. Consistency. You are a person who is relentless with consistency and, and it's paid off and it's taken 18 years of running or, you know, to get to the point where you've achieved some incredible results for yourself. Um, and, you know, for, for growing up as a, as a really tiny kid against, you know, really big opposition, you, you really, uh, I can still remember at Olympic Park watching you at the APS Sports uh, running the 3K against, looked like you were a, tw a, year, a year six kid in a year 12 race and, and you blitzed the field. And it was, it was just fantastic to, to see someone who is so dedicated and so consistent and persevering. And, and you know, is, is that something that you pride yourself on, Dane, as, as, as uh, being something that really is important to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, even from a day-to-day -day life, I can't like it's it's a, it's a, almost to a to a fault. Like um, like if I've got something like um, I don't know a podcast or something that I need to get done, or I've got patient notes or I've got some kind of thing during the day that I need to get done, I I just can't stop until I've I've done it or like I um, so to a to an extent, it's a fault, but to an extent, it's an, a strength. Um, so sometimes, like I, I need to be more kind on myself to know when to rest and to 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 stop. But at the same time, it is a strength because it it is that never never give up attitude. And 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 definitely, Jerry, I, I pride myself on it. Like I like I, I like that in in people. Like that's like there's a few boys in, in that I coach, and and a few of them really have that same that same sort of um, quality and it, it makes me like really cherish coaching them um, because I think it's a quality that actually is a underrated, underrated talent for um, a lot of things um, because eventually like you might not succeed at the start, but eventually, you know, thing, things, um, good things happen. Um, um, yeah. Over time, like, because, you keep pushing in that general direction. Um, so things are bound to happen. You, you, um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. I, I pride myself on it. Um, yeah. It's um, yeah. And, and I'd, I'd agree with dad. That's probably my best quality. Like I remember as a kid, uh, mum and dad were both teachers at the one school and I think I was sick um, one day. So I stayed home and, might have been year eight actually at Halebury and I had to do a history project and make it a castle. And I always remember this one because I think it really exemplifies like how focused I can get and, and how, how, how my, how I am. And uh, I, um, they left and um, they left it sort of, yeah, for school. And, and then I went downstairs and was doing my history project, which was making a castle. And I made this castle out of matchsticks and cardboard and 
I was in my dressing gown and, and then I looked at my watch and it was 5 p.m. And, and mum and dad rocked up and I was still in my dressing gown. The, the breakfast stuff was still on the table and I was still just like <laughs> focusing in on what I was doing. And um, yeah, I, I used to get like in a fair bit of, um, oh, not trouble, but mum and dad would, yeah, go, oh, come on, Dane, you've got to <laughs> be able to. Yeah, so I don't know, like, see what I mean? Like, it's a good quality, but it's a bad quality as well. It's, it's such a great story. Um, and so, have you got some balance into your life now? Is that, that, that's obviously the next question. Um, yeah. obviously, obviously, you've been a determined, persevering, consistent person. But, but, you know, I'm often saying to people, you know, you've got to have some balance. And, and if you're extreme in anything something's going to give and yep. it's, it's unsustainable. Would, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. So yeah, two years ago I had to, I was getting a bit burnt out from physio for, from my work. I was, um, I was like, I'm so, so, so like, I, I love doing a good job with my job and, and making sure that every patient I treat, um, I follow up and, and I was, I was just, um, yeah, sometimes, like I remember mum saying to me, like, you can only do what you can do in a certain amount of time. And, and you know, you've got, sometimes you just got to put it to bed and, and you know, even if you haven't, you know, uh, done the best you feel like you could have, if, if you've only got half an hour to treat a patient, then you've only got half an hour. Um, but yeah, I was going overtime um, every day and, and uh, five days a week. And, and after doing that for um, eight years, um, I, I got burnt out and I had to go down to three days a week with my physio and two days a week from home. And since I've done that, I felt like I've had such a better life balance. Um, oh, I'm not as, um, yeah, I love my job, um, but I was definitely getting tired mentally. Um, have I found like good life balance? I'm like, I, I reckon I'm, I'm fully aware of it and I need to keep reminding myself every day um that like of all the all the important things and we were actually speaking about this off air just before and um uh about a month ago i was treating my boss's um dad and he actually uh said to me dane uh because he he's he's been a great um he's been a bit of a mentor of mine here and there just um infrequently every year or two he, he um He's quite good at um, just, um, I don't know, we have like these philosophical um, conversations and he was like, Dane, what are the five main things that are important in your life at the moment? And he got me to list them out and, and I said something like family, friends and uh, yeah, work, running and, and, and health. And he's like, well, uh, you've got to think of those five things as um, when you evenly distribute your time and effort um, to them like a wheel and if you do so the wheel is functioning and it's rolling because um, you've got a fifth to each section like a pie um, and and then he's like um, do you feel like you're doing that and I, I honestly would say that I was spending more time at, with work and with running um, and focusing focusing on that and so I reckon my wheel wasn't a wheel it was a bit off center so yeah, I've always got to um, keep um, reminding myself of that. I've got like it's funny. Like there's one thing of being aware of things, and there's another thing of like 
making sure that you do it. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, implementing implementing your actions is uh, is is the next step from first of all finding out uh, what you need to fix. Um, yeah, and, and that's the key, isn't it? It's okay, you know. Oh yeah, I, I don't do that so well. What are you going to do about it? That's that's the next step, isn't it? Um, yeah, so that, that leads me. I don't want to butt in, George, but uh, like I'm always intrigued as to what how you go about setting your goals. Um, and and getting that balance right and, and i and i'm a real pusher of this in our coaching businesses is you know you, you can't just aimlessly train um or you can but it's generally not that successful um you need and i and i say to people a goal can be that i want to uh, be consistent that can be a goal um a goal can be i pick a race that can be another goal a, a goal could be i just want to be able to uh go injury free for a period um how do what do you do when you each year or each six years or what how do you go about planning your running and how do, yeah what what are the things that you, you prioritize in your goal setting how do you go about it well yeah i i think i start off um so recently like if you're talking talking about say this year when i look i've i've um planned to um have a goal over COVID, and um when i planned that goal it was to it was definitely just what excites me like what will make me enthusiastic enough to go out the door time and time again and i'll think about it um and i'll dream about it and i'll uh, and it actually um really lights a fire inside me so that's probably the first thing um that i actually find because if it doesn't mean enough then you're not going to put in the time. You're not going to structure your day and um, plan it out enough, um, yeah, appropriately. So I think it's going to mean a lot to you. Um, yeah, that's probably the first thing. And and so, uh, yeah, I, I think then from there you got to go. Well, am I am I actually ready to achieve this goal? And if it's a long-term goal or a short-term goal, um, you've got to work that out too. So, so say if the goal compared to where you're at is just too ambitious, then you, that determines the time frame. And then you've got to work out on a short, a few short-term goals that might be like really appropriate in terms of getting you to that long-term goal. So, for example, this morning I was treating a patient that wants to run the Gold Coast Marathon next year. So for December, I said, let's aim for the half marathon because you're gonna, there's the virtual Melbourne marathon, half marathon in December. And uh, I feel like if she aims for that, then she's that much more prepared to, to take that next step towards the marathon next year. So um, yeah, that, that, working out where you're at and then working out um, how big a, that goal is compared to where you're at is really important because that determines the time frame. And then that determines uh, also what the next suitable step is. Yeah, great, great, great answer. And and one thing that comes out is in your answer is that unless you have the passion to fulfil mm. that goal, you can talk all you like. You've got to actually walk the walk. You know, people always say, you know, he's a big talker, but is he a doer? Um, and you can hear it in your answers. The passion. When you set your goal, the passion's there. Like, what, what's going to motivate me 
and I always talk to my athletes about when you stand on that start line for the marathon or for the triathlon or, or whatever event you're standing on the start line, if you look back and you, are you totally satisfied with the preparation you, and if, if you are the confidence you get standing there going, oh, I'm going to do well today, like you would have at, at, uh, at uh, Berlin or, um, but yeah, the, that's, that's how you, the goal setting is what, what you've answered there is so true and having that passion to fulfill it day after day because it is so difficult to keep the motivation going when, okay, I'm now got a little niggling injury. Um, now I'm sick. Um, you know, now I've got too much work at work or something's happened with the family. You know, there are all these roadblocks that are going to be put in front of your, your goal. And if you don't have the passion to get through these roadblocks, then mm -hmm. you're going to fail. Unfortunately, would yeah. you, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, a perfect um, case has been this period with COVID. Like, there's been no races for endurance athletes, um, yeah, in a, in Melbourne particularly to to strive for. And so, without that goal, then there's no direction. And if there's no direction, then you're gonna probably go, oh well, what's the point? Or I can miss this day. Whereas once you've got that goal, then you've got a bit more purpose. Um, so like, for example, I've actually, and it might sound like a crazy goal, but for November the 29th, um, I've organized with three friends of mine that we're gonna uh, race 50 kilometers around an athletics track. And yeah. Um, yeah, the thing is like, we wanna do the Australian record or one of us wants to do the Australian record. Um, so we're currently building towards that. And we, we chose that because it was exciting um it was at least something to aim for and we think it might go ahead depending on the covid restrictions so obviously that's the sticking point um but we're trying to arrange it so that it's safe and help like um within within the restrictions and and then that's actually been a really good um use of, of like a goal because that's getting me out the door i've got something to aim for and then once i've got something to aim for and i know what to do each week with my running then a lot of things actually, um, I get structure in my week as well and it makes me feel good and it actually feeds into my life as well. I was going to ask you what's your next goal. That is a whopping goal. Uh, November 29th, we'll keep an eye on that date. Yeah, that is... it's going to be 125 laps. Um, yeah, that actually yeah. seems more reasonable than when you hear 50 kilometres on a track. I mean, 125 laps is extreme, but I guess to I, me it sounds more reasonable than 50 kilometres around the track. It's fantastic, uh, Dane. And look, I remember reading stories back in the... Oh, Dad was telling me stories back in the 70s of... Uh, the Japanese runners would train for marathon on the 400 meter track. And the main purpose obviously was to, to get fit, but the main purpose was their mindset. Like if you can run 7,000 laps on a, <laughs> on a 400 meter ath track in preparation for a marathon, the marathon is going to be pretty easy by the time yeah. you get to it. So definitely. Um, like do I've been doing a few training sessions on the track, um, and on the treadmill as well because of our two hour restrictions. And so for example, like a Sunday long run doing two hours outside, then an hour on the treadmill, just staring at the fly on the wall. And um, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely is definitely exercising that mental, mental strength that hopefully I, I can call upon like uh, over those last 50 or so laps, because it's going to get, 
pretty easy to want to stop like when you're so close to the finish line all the time crossing <laughs> it every 400 meters <laughs> Jeez, but yeah, that, that goal like if i aim for a 5k i've done a 5k virtual race um well i've done a 5k race so many times in my life and and i know just without having a crowd or ha without having the atmosphere of a race it just wasn't exciting me so so that for me wasn't enough it wasn't a good goal and so i had to change i yeah for some reason 50k's around the track but with having that chance of the australian record because it's actually the australian record's not super super amazing because it's a rarely run event mm. so it's kind of like a chance um it's it my pb over a marathon is quicker than it um so i'm a slim chance um but that that chase and that um that it, it's a it's not going to be an easy goal it's not but it's not with, with it's actually possible so that sort of chance you know makes it exciting and, and that makes me get out the door so that's a good goal that's unreal, Dane. I think only someone that loves running as much as you would pick that as a goal. <laughs> but no, that's great. Um, I wanted to touch on, did you have a question, Dad? Or? No, I was just going to say, you know, it's not a normally run thing because it's crazy, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I was going to ask you, though, you, you know, talking about the perseverance theme before and uh, you've mentioned that you've had a lot of setbacks uh, in your career. Uh, you've had a lot of injuries um illness you had asthma at certain races a lot of races that you performed not where you wanted to be which are really disappointing um how did you get through some of those setbacks and some of those really tough ones where you had really sustained injuries or um illness that you know stopped your racing when you were prepared well yeah that's a really good question jord i remember like when i was quite young like 16 15 having a heap of bad races for one or two seasons in a row. I think at the time, like when I reflect on it, I was overtrained and I um, was racing training. I was trying too hard in every run, but you don't like people, like your coach tells you at the time, but you just think you're immune to it and, and it's going to make you better quicker. Um, I remember when I was having that, those season or two where I was having yeah, average race after average race for how much training I was putting in. I was putting a lot of training in for how poorly I was running. Um, I, I, I was definitely doubting myself and thinking, oh, geez. Oh. There's definitely times where I was like, oh, geez. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm, yeah, just not going to be, you know, much better than this. And um, the thing is, like, uh, so, uh given that just because I was able to like push through those times, I was able to see that they were reversible. If I listened to my body and, and if I um, gave it time and uh, rested up. So whether it was, if I just got the pain right or the cold, right, or the sickness, right, or the overtraining, right. Like if I, if I started to listen to my body, um, things soon reversed. And um, there was a few moments, few times, I remember one time when I was quite young, I had a few poor races and then within two weeks, I had a really good race. And I started to see a few times where that would happen. And um, when I saw that that could happen, it gave, it always sort of, you always remember those times and you're like, oh, okay, well, you can turn it around. And so, so that 
I soon I soon saw that um, you can't read too much into every result, and it's easy as runners to become a bit too reactive to, um, you know, you have a, a shocking training session, so suddenly you're unfit. But um, it might be just because you're tired, you're overworked. You, there's, there might be something that's stressing you out, and that's why you had that poor poor training session. Especially if like a week or two ago you're flying, and Yes, I think it's very easy to become too myopic about um, about your training and your form, and sometimes taking a step back, which is what I started to learn, was look, I've put in all this work. The fact that I'm performing poorly at the moment, it's just a small hurdle at the moment, and I just need to get through whatever it is. But all in all, if I take a step back and I look at my training for the last year, I haven't missed any more than five days. Um, so I've got to be fit. And so taking a step back and having a bit more of a, a bigger view of your training, um, uh, yeah, is really important. And you only learn that through trial and error and being able to see, see that you can bounce back reasonably quickly over time with smart decisions and, and pulling back a little bit with your training and, and getting addressing the immediate concern um, and, and then, uh, and then if you address that immediate concern, it's amazing how quickly you can, your form can change. Um, especially once you've got a year or two under the belt. Um, but it's very easy to get, to look at your most recent result and be very reactive about it and go, Oh, that's as good as I am. But it's, it's, it's definitely, um, it, it was definitely a learning process. Uh, it's so true. And, uh, you've given so many good examples of what every athlete experiences, you know, day in, week in, month in. And uh, it's so good that you've said that because we do push that a lot. And and I, I, I get that example of one minute you can perform really well and then you suck for two weeks. Yeah. You know, you, you don't lose and gain fitness over two weeks. There's a lot of other things that happen. And You've touched on it a few times in this podcast. And one of the things I want to hone in on is you've said, I haven't been very well prepared in some of the races where I've done really well in. And, and if, if you really were analysing closely, I could, because I know your personality, I know your Mr. Perseverance. Yeah. The days, the sessions and the, and the weeks where you had trouble and then you got to a race where you were not that confident, but you ended up running well was because you were forced to rest. And, and that is one of the big things that you've said a few times. Well, I wasn't that well prepared. I didn't yeah. nail all my sessions. Well, and the fact that you ran well was because you were forced to rest and, yep. and you're fresh. And, yeah. and, you know, that's why people can perform really well on one weekend and then suck for two weeks because they were probably freshened up on that day and then they started training hard again and they went back into being fatigue training. So, yep. That's an important lesson for everybody out there listening. And you have hit the nail on the head so many times in this podcast, which is really good. So Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but there's probably three races that really stick out to mind, like two 10K PBs that I did on the road where I was sick with asthma seven days before it, and even a little bit on the day, but it meant that I just totally pulled back my running. Um, and so I did that twice um, in 10K road races. Um, and ran PBs. Uh, and then one time I remember I just graduated with my physiotherapy. My last placement was in Geelong. Um, 
and I had it. I had a really tough placement, which I was really struggling with. So I just ended up just jogging for the month. I didn't do any hard sessions, um, any hard running training. I just jogged every day. And so then the 5K state champs, the B division state champs were on. I had my physio graduation ball the night before, stayed up till <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. Um, was, Very un undone yeah, was, was, preparation here. Yeah, was, was drunk. Um, <laughs> and then spent the, yeah, the rest of the day recovering. That next night, stood on the start line going, oh, it'll just be good to um, be midfield and... and um, I oh, just have an okay result. I'm, I'm obviously the underdog here. I had a shocking preparation. Um, went out slow after a K was midfield and then just started feeling good um, and moved up the field, got into second with a K to go and then um, absolutely unleashed with a K to go and ran a 64 second um, lap and uh People in the stand were going, oh, he's miscounted the laps. He thinks it's the last lap. And, um, but then held on and, and ran, ran, I'm pretty sure it was a 5K PB at the time um, off, off a shocking preparation, but... Um, Still I sweating out the alcohol, probably. What was the yeah. drink? What was yeah, the drink I, you were I drinking? Think, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I think it was something about um, even mentally um, not putting pressure on myself too. Um, and mentally, um, yeah, not putting that high expectation on myself. Um, but having fun, just running yeah, and having fun. Yeah. So it's funny how we sometimes we can try too hard and and um, be too rigid, and our performance actually um, goes the other way. Mm, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I wanted to uh, finish off by touching on your physio career a little bit and you started the Run Culture blog and uh, movement and podcast, which you're loving at the moment and you really love treating runners and talking all things running. Um, I want to ask you about some of your big lessons, you know, treating running injuries and what stands out to you as most common with runners. And then I want you to get into some tips afterwards about um, you have some unique tips that I think are akin to your personality uh, in some of the home treatments you've come up with for Achilles and that kind of thing, you did it with uh, my brother Liam. So um, I want to start up by touching on the um, running injury side of things and things you've noticed in the running community and um, what can help runners out there because we have a lot of you know, triathletes listening to this and endurance runners who get a lot of injuries. Yeah, I think um, with, with running injuries, um, Obviously, everyone's different and the reason they get injured is different. Um, so, from a general general way of speaking, um, the biggest um, mismatch I see in the clinic uh, or the, 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 main, the main thing I see people getting wrong is it starts off with that goal and, and the goal perhaps is to, to, like their time frame to achieve what they're trying to achieve is too rushed um for where they're at um so so some so often they're trying to get this physiological change that they don't have enough time uh to 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 achieve because um everyone's physiology adapts and and regenerates and recovers at different rates depending on so many different factors and even you know within a person um like myself, I might have recovered better last week when I was well rested, well sleep, less stress. And then if this week was more 
highly, I was more highly stressed and maybe my recovery wasn't as good. So the fact that um, recovery is so variable, I think we need to give plenty of time for our goals. And often I get people coming in with a six week goal um, that's just so tough on their body and they're trying to force it and they're trying to force everything to change and happen all at once with, without a respect of um, that, that um, physiology changes. Um, yeah. Oh, it needs time to change. So that's probably the biggest, biggest um, thing. That's a um, yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, probably um, an, another big thing would be um, training, training decisions and training errors, which sort of goes hand in hand with that goal. So yeah, often the progressions are too quick or they're trying to change too many parameters in one week, uh, whether it's uh, duration and time out there and intensity, uh, frequency of runs, um, uh, and then probably under-recovering and not giving enough um, thought to recovery. Uh, that so yeah training training decisions is probably the and training errors is probably um one of the the biggest things that if you spend time with and 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 sort of work out um making sure that the training is sort of pitched really well with the person's capacity to tolerate running so when i say capacity like you know how strong is the person's calf how strong is the person's achilles like wherever they're getting tight or fatigued or they're struggling, like how strong is it? And, and what's a suitable training load for that, uh, for their body part that's struggling and where are they at? And then ha what's a suitable progression and, and how quick can we progress that? But um, like, that's so dependent on, um, uh, yeah, where they're at, where their strengths at and, and what their goal is. Um, so uh, yeah, definitely making sure that the training is pitched well to the person's capacity. And if, if, as long as it's not too in excess of their capacity, because um, if it's, because to get, obviously to get, to get stronger and get fitter, you need to test the person and you need to, you need to test your body. So you do need to stress, you need to put some kind of strain. So you, you're constantly running that gauntlet when you're, you, when you're striving to improve your performance and you're running uh, between like, um, uh, stressing the body, but then making sure you recover. But sometimes people are, are going too far into the red and, and really stressing their body. Um, yeah, so, so that's, yeah, training errors. And then uh, probably um, making sure, like, especially um, uh, what I see a lot of is, um, uh, well, I see a lot of running injuries, but I see a lot of people that just aren't fit um, running wise. So, respecting that um to running is a high load activity and uh there's a lot of load going through the tissue it's so repetitive um you're out there for a long time you're doing the same thing uh you need to have strong muscles so you need to have strong calves you need to have strong quads you need to have strong glutes and you need strong tendons and you, you need strong bones and you need strong cartilage and over time that stuff adapts and it gets stronger but running alone um i think for some people isn't enough i think uh some people's calves 
are often not strong enough. Um, so um, often I'm trying to encourage people to do a little bit more work in terms of um, calf raises or calf strengthening um, to make sure that their calves are strong enough, their Achilles, their plantar fascia is strong enough to tolerate the loads of running. Um, and, and the same thing goes with, um, yeah, their, their more proximal um, strength. So whether it's um, hip strength, like glute strength and quad strength. Um, uh, so yeah, definitely working on their strength capacity because um, a lot of our sedentary lifestyles don't really encourage us to use our muscles in that way and then we go to run so there's too much of a of a like a often yeah, our jobs yeah. are down here and running's up here mm, um, yeah yeah, that's a pretty common theme that uh, we speak about a bit on the podcast is kind of underestimating a training program and probably overestimating our own ability. And you know, we've heard it from a lot of people who speak about injuries. It's the same thing, you know, uh, underestimating the load that a training program has and overestimating your body's ability to adapt to it. Um, that's a that's a really good answer. Um, yeah, and I did want to ask you about some of your home, home remedies that you've got for injuries, some stuff you've come up with. I know, so Liam... Uh, had a Achilles injury and you gave him a weird kind of home concussion. Can you explain that to us and any other little tricks you have for people with maybe knee pain or Achilles pain or, or glute pain or something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I got, I think I got him to do the night wrap, which is um, uh, Voltaren cream, Hirudoid cream and uh, cling wrap. And yet you put a blob of Voltaren and, and Hirudoid cream on the painful area over the Achilles and then wrap it with cling wrap and let it drain in overnight for eight hours. Um, but that, Achilles, so there's a lot of different types of Achilles injuries. So that was to see if um, there was more just some swelling around the paratenon and the bursa. Uh, and it, it, it wouldn't apply to everyone. Um, so often um, with Achilles, you've got to really work on the strength tolerance and um, slowly make sure that um, you, you're building the calf strength and resilience with calf raises and then also pitching the, the running program accordingly to where they're at. And you can do that through slower running, um, less hills, less intensity, um, shoes that are built up at the back um, with a higher heel than toe um, are, are often quite good, uh, yeah, to offload the Achilles structure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to talk specifics. Um, with knees, um, often I see people with um, either IT band syndrome or patellofemoral um, syndrome, which is runner's knee. And uh, runner's knee is when the kneecap um, gets a little bit of swelling under it. And it's quite a, quite a common one, actually. And it's a really good injury to have, um, which which sounds weird to say, but it's mm. good because it re responds really well to treatment. So often when people, often when people get um, runner's knee, it's often because uh, more often than not, they're, they're not conditioned enough through their, their hip, hip stabilizers and um, yeah, their quadriceps. Uh, biomechanically, uh, I've seen a few runners that didn't respond to a strength program through their glutes and quads and, that was because they had a crossover gait and their, their knees were pretty much touching each other when they ran. And I've had success with a couple of patients that didn't respond to a strengthening program 
uh, with changing their biomechanics. So I've had uh, a guy that stands out last year where he could only run 800 meters until his, um, uh, his knee pain kicked in. And that happened for three months and he was really compliant with his exercises. And it wasn't until I got him running in the clinic, one foot either side of the line that went through the center of the carpet that he's like, oh, that feels really good. And then he messaged me two days later and he ran 25 minutes pain-free. Mm. Um, so biomechanics can feed into it as well. So I've just mentioned yeah. that shoes can help, strengthening can help, changing your running training. So it really is the, dependent on the person. Uh, yeah. That's great. That's a great answer. Really good way to finish. Did you have anything else, Dad? No, look, I think, Dane, you've, uh, you've summed up uh, almost every aspect of running from, uh, from goal setting to, to consistency to, to injury prevention, training overloading. It's so many good aspects that you've mentioned uh, and just not for running, as we talked about off air, you know, they're all uh, relatable to, to every sport that you're doing and, and you know, understanding your program uh, and, and not and not doing something that's out of reach is, is what you've, what you you know, in a summary, you've kind of, you've hit every topic that we're, you know, that most, most athletes, whether they're a runner or a swimmer or a bike rider or, or a gymnast, you know, you've got to have that mentality um, with the right structure and, and, and there's so many facets, isn't there, that, uh, that, that eventually lead to a, a successful outcome, whether that's just a PB or whether you're winning events. Um, but it's been great to, to hear um, how you've gone about it yourself and, and you have uh, walked the walk and you are very much not a person who talks about it. And to get you to open up about your career has been, has been really great because you know, I've, I've known you all your life and uh, you are one of the most quiet uh, achieving people that I've ever met. And it's so great to see you getting success after so many years of of, of trying your hardest and, and, you know, it, it is fantastic to see the way uh, your career has blossomed. And uh, yeah, so congratulations, mate. And, and we're really grateful that you've uh, been able to spend time um, with us on the podcast. It's been, it's been fantastic. And uh, is there anything else, George, that you wanted to ask Dane? No, that's, that's it. I second that. Uh, Dane, your enthusiasm is infectious and I absolutely have loved the podcast because of that. And I always love hearing about, your running adventures. I love reading your blog because you're, uh, it's inspiring to read. And we didn't touch on nearly everything uh, at all in this podcast in terms of your setbacks, in terms of some of your long-term injuries, even your consistent you know, medium-term injuries, a lot of illness, that kind of thing. And that's important for people to know that you really did have to persevere through that stuff and um, to hear the positivity that you have and all the learnings you've taken and uh, how you've turned them all into experiences that have helped you grow is uh, what's really inspiring about it and why, like Dad said, we've loved seeing your success. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. I think uh, an easy way to summarize how much you love running is before the podcast, I said to you, oh, what do you want me to tell everyone in your, in your introduction? You were, we're going through your career and stuff. The first thing you said was, well, tell them I love running. And I thought, <laughs> well, they're going to know that by the end of the podcast. Trust me, <laughs> they'll figure that out. Um, but thanks so much for joining us, Dane. We really, really enjoyed it. Um, where can everyone find you if they want to listen to your podcast or read your blog? Yeah, so um, thanks, guys. Firstly, uh, really enjoyed it. And um, you yeah, always love chatting to you guys and um, very kind words from 
Jerry and George, thanks so much. Um, means a lot. Right. Um, yeah, my podcast called the Run Culture Podcast. So you can just find that on all the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Uh, I've also got an Instagram page called the Run.Culture. Um, and that's where I normally just um, weekly update uh, where the podcast is at and also update uh, where the squad that I coach, um, how they're going. Um, so the sort of eight young boys that I'm coaching down on the peninsula, um, how they're progressing. And um, yeah, then also, um, yeah, run culture on Facebook as well. So Awesome. And you've got a private uh, Facebook group, is that right? For uh, Yeah, I've got um, a running injury and support group and we've got about 900 followers and it's been really fulfilling running that. And every week I try to put um, some an interesting uh, podcast that I've listened to during the week, maybe on a run. Uh, and often those podcasts are about training or injury, um, injury prevention or um, various concepts. So, yeah, I, I've enjoyed that because as a physio, um, uh, when you're sitting in the clinic, you, you, you treat 10 people, but they're often already injured. So it's kind of nice to be a bit more proactive and on the front foot and trying to prevent injury out in the community with a, a big reach of people. So for me, that's really fulfilling. And yeah, so that group, uh, yeah, just the running, training and injury support group. Perfect. That's a great way to finish. Thanks so much, Dane, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thanks, guys.